לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malaman in Highland Park, New Jersey, the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation, Anshay Amen. And joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Jeremy Kovanovsky, Anshay Chesed, New York City, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Salam Sheikh, the Day School of Long Island. We're recording this as day 74, 75 of the war, praying for the Chatufim, the Chatufot, that they are returned home, the hostages, praying for all of our friends, our dear ones, and loved ones who are... In Gaza, playing for the people that the families, etc. We are we're thinking of them and and constantly thinking about our study in uh, in in on the split screen. We're also thinking of many of the people that watch us and are devoted to us. We thank you, thank you for always turning to Parsha Talk to uh, learn a little bit, to explore, maybe discover things. Couple of shout outs, Rabbi Kalmanovsky. I'm so happy that Kate Uziel told me how much you like the show. So my participation is dedicated to, to Kate Uziel and, yeah. and Ori and Liam and Cora Ann and Ventura. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you for, for watching. And uh and please share share your thoughts right on Barry's Facebook page. <laughs> and we'll we'll like it anyway. This week, Parshat Vayigash. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say this was an amazing parsha because it actually is an amazing parsha. Um, it's amazing because it has this tremendous emotion to it, the tension that's going to be resolved. Uh, why don't we start out with the first scene in the parsha? And and you know we we have been talking about the development of the characters here. Judah, Judah is making this, it's one of the longest speeches in the entire Torah. Uh, and he's really laying it out before Joseph. He doesn't know that it's Joseph that he's talking to. Um, but when he talks about um, Benjamin, who is being now a hostage, he's going, he's like, the, Joseph is threatening to keep him there forever as a slave. Um, uh, because uh, if last week, Joseph was, or Benjamin was framed. Um, so Judah now making every plea. And and he's he's focusing on his father. Um, why don't we pick it up from verse, uh, chapter 44, uh, verse 20. We, we had Vanomer Aladoni, sorry. We said to my master, Yeshlanu Avzakain, we have an old father. Yelid's kunim katan, and he has a son of his old age, a little son. Ve'achiv mate, his brother is dead. Ve'yvater hu levado li'imo ve'aviv a'ivo. And he alone remains of his mother, and his father loves him. It's such a such a, a compressed verse, and powerful verse. Barry, I just, I, I, you know, we were talking about it just before, and, and how 
what you the, the family experience of loss and the family all families kind of map their own experiences on to this or have this family mapped map itself onto their own families um and and I, I just just reflect i don't know go anywhere with that so i i just want to point something out before i make my comment on the verse is that in a couple of chapters we're going to discover that binyamin the katan has 10 sons yeah okay which is more more sons than any of his brothers with funny names well, that's another story altogether. But you know, this idea of Benjamin the Katan is needs to be unraveled a little bit because it's not even clear that the Torah knows what it's talking about here. But be that as it may, I, I think what we have here is an indication of a transformation in the brothers. And one of the you know, we have this phrase that we like to quote Masa Avot that what happens to the ancestors is a sign for what happens to their descendants, their children. And, you know, in short, what it means is that the characters in Breshit are characters or individuals, but they also stand for much of what is going to unfold later in the Tanakh, but also we like to believe in our subsequent history as a people. And so there's this transformation in Judah that, explaining the plight of his father he understands that his father's love for a son that is not himself need not be destructive because the last indication that jacob loved a child was yosef and consequently he gave him the katone pasim the coat of many colors and that set in motion the tragedy of the previous week's parsha or two weeks ago and now we see that he's basing his appeal to this uh, second-in-command to Pharaoh on him understanding how important a father's love is. And it's, of course, for us, wonderfully ironic because it has to resonate with Joseph that his father also loved Joseph. So I, what, where I um, have trouble in this verse is the, the notion... Uh, how they present their father, they present. They, they, he starts out by saying, "Yesh lanu of zaken." We yeah. have an old father, um, and then it's then it's there's a subtle shift, which is aviv ahivo. His father loves him. Now you can get by with that, right? He, he the reference to um, to Jacob as his father, as opposed to our father. There, there are lots of ways he could have said this. One of the other ways he could have said is, we have an old father, and he has a young son, and, um, you know, he had another brother, brother's dead, but our father loves him. Our father loves him. But he doesn't say our. He says his father loves him. And, and I sense in that the tension. The tension is, whose father is it? And, and, this is going to be something that's going to play itself out later on in the story because when Joseph reveals himself, he says, "Haod Avichai," you know, uh, "I am Ani Yosef." I am. I'm sorry if I made the spoiler here. I mean, he, he he can't hold himself back from telling who he is. This is Ani Yosef. Haod Avichai is my father. Chai, as opposed to saying Haod Avinu Chai. I'm just wondering if if you're bothered by the same thing here. 
But, what, but explain why it, it bothers you. Because you said, I forget if you said this while we were preparing or you said it since we started recording, that, that the brothers have attained, a, I mean, Barry said this also, the brothers have attained a kind of maturity to be able to deal with that thing that drove them so crazy before. It, yeah. made, it made them terrible before. that They knew that they were unloved. They knew, yeah, we don't know if they were unloved. We know they were less loved. And, um, and, it certainly, you know, galled Leia that she was snua, that she was less loved or even hated. And it's possible, I, I'm kind of inclined to read this, in Joseph, in Judah's great self-sacrifice on behalf of his father, his great self-sacrifice on behalf of Binyamin. Like, you know, as, as Judah tells this story, it says, let me tell you, my father, he said, my wife had two children. Actually, <laughs> what, does that say, what does that cost Binyam, uh, Yehuda? To say that my wife, referring to his stepmother, right, uh, or his aunt, aunt and stepmother, um, is quote my wife and not my mom. So my mom, my mom has been demoted, and yet he can tell that story and not want to hate Benjamin and not want to hate Jacob. And so I feel that part of the grandeur of this passage is Joseph is Judah's emotional generosity. I, so, so there is transition in Judah, and I, I think there there is a nobility in in Judah, I've, and and I would make the case that you know the Torah is very interested in making Judah the noble character. Certainly, after having had his oh, little problem with his own sons, Er Onan and Shela, and his problem with uh, their the wife uh, Tamar. Um, and and but but also you know we we've been reading the stories now it's our third week reading the story and and we are recalling that Judah was instrumental in the damage that was done to to Joseph Judah Judah was the one who said you know uh, what what do we get by 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 killing him let's sell him you know let's we, sell I think him. we can make a profit here let's sell him, <laughs> oh, right and it's his I idea think that even there there's an element of nobility in judah and we have to compare him to ruvain both there and then the subsequent scene where ruvain plays a part so ruvain thinks he's going to come back later and save yosef because he thinks his brothers are going to kill him and he's going to be the hero and then when he comes back they sold them and i think we can all agree that selling a person into slavery is killing them is not a fate worse than death it is in fact it can be an avenue to redemption, which is the story of the Torah. But the other thing is to remember what happens when they're back home and they're trying to figure out how they're going to convince Yaakov to let Benjamin come with them to Egypt. And Ruvain, you know, one of the mind-boggling suggestions. <laughs> have, this is the dumbest thing in the whole Torah. I'll kill two of my sons <laughs> in his place. He says, he says, he says, this, I think he says it to Jacob. You can kill two of my son. You can kill your grandchildren. Is it a deal? And what does Judah say? Judah says he will be the surety. And I think what was important to recognize is that up until the very end of the story, this is a story that is permeated with loss. Everyone loses someone. And the story, in one sense, is how they navigate that loss. Mm -hmm. So Judah, by pledging himself as surety, if it goes awry, Joseph will lose Benjamin and Judah. 
Judah will lose his father and his extended family. But we have to judge it about what the other possible outcomes are. And the other possible outcomes are worse. They'll starve to death in Canaan or something else will befall them. So the best that we could get here is some scenario of loss. And Judah's has an element of magnanimity because he is willing to withdraw himself from the family, uh, which up until now he's been totally identified with, except for his little excursion to to uh, Bachua. But that's, I think, a noble sacrifice. It certainly makes much more sense than Ruvain sacrifice. Sure, I, I agree with this. I agree with this very much, and I think that there's uh, multiple la layers on which. So, so Judah comes. It is a story of loss. Judah comes, however, as the force of life. Um, it, it is interesting, you know, the commentators, many of the commentators um, suggest that when Abraham fled to Egypt after that first famine, that that was like an act of faithlessness and and he should have trusted God and he should have stayed in, in Canaan and and not subjected Sarah to being, to being taken by Pharaoh. I, I don't really think, I mean, maybe there's something to that. But I don't think that the Bible in any way is criticizing the decision to go to Egypt for food. That would be crazy. Um, you don't, you don't, it, it would not make good narrative sense or ethical sense for the Bible to be saying, when you are in Eretz Yisrael and there is famine, just lift your eyes to heaven and may I and Yahweh Ezri and I'll take care of it for you. No, you have to say human action is prized in the Hebrew Bible. And I think that that's true here too. They are shown to be, um, they are shown to be, you know, smart and and thoughtful and and resourceful. Um, by the way, I want to I want to just note one other thing. I don't think we mentioned this last week. When they first come down, they are consistently referred to as Ache Yosef, and then they become later called like the Bible will then switch and call them, um, uh, I think Anashim for the most part. But Ache Yosef is how they are described when they come down for food, which is just such a, a narratively rich detail. But I, I want to make another observation about the role of Judah and and the Vayigash um, Elav Yehuda, that Judah comes near to him. So Nachmanides, my favorite commentator, the Ramban, who, who is among other of the famous things about the Ramban, is that in the, the 13th century, he's the first writer to whose whose Kabbalistic allusions in his Torah commentary like plays a huge role in popularizing Kabbalah. It's quite ironic because he repeatedly says, I can't tell you anything about this. This is secret lore and 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 and, and in point of fact his allusions are incredibly hard to decipher and and he's he's really you know revealing one tefach and covering three more, but he effectively tells you that there is a Kabbalistic dimension. And he says uh, one of his his phrases uh, with respect to Kabbalah is "Hakatuv yagid betachtonim ve'yirmoz ve'elyonim." It re, the the Bible refers to earthly things, but alludes to you know supernal metaphysical things. Um, so I, I'm not going to talk about Kabbalah here, but I am going to say that I think that that it is true that there are multiple levels on which the story is told. So this story is told about the one brother who draws near to the other brother. And the the Bible's basic way of talking about the northern tribes and the southern tribes is that the southern tribes are Judah, 
and the northern tribes are Ephraim, or Joseph's descendants. Uh, in the Haftarah for this week, Ezekiel does this little bit of, you know, uh, sympathetic magic and has two blocks of wood. On one is written Eitz Yehuda, and on one is written Eitz Yosef, and draws them together so that they will be one again. And it's this it's this metaphor or poetic rendering for the divisions of Am Yisrael to be overcome when Judah and Joseph get near again. So I, I have to say that I think that the brilliant maneuver of and Judah drew near to him. It's about this story, and it's about that other story in which the Ju Judeans and the and the Ephraimites are a you know a divided, um, compromised people who long to be reconciled, and that too is being acted out here. So then, then we do have the 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 first reconciliation where Joseph does reveal himself. It's just so powerful uh, the scene. He couldn't hold himself back. To all the people that are standing, I'm reading chapter 45, 1. Uh, he says, Get everybody out of here. So nobody stood between him and his brothers as he revealed himself to his brothers. He sends up his voice in wailing. The Egyptians here, and the whole household of Pharaoh. It's so, it just, it's cinematography, the cinematography so, of the scene. Well, you have to finish yeah. uh, catching the scene. So when he lifts his voice in crying or wailing, as you describe it, how is it heard by Beit Paro? Are Good they... question, right? I love it. I taught this 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 the scene this week, and I have you know the imagination that they're standing at the door and they're hearing you know it's it's literally a leak you know in the in the cabinet room. Someone's got her. So you know, I, I watch Israeli news. There's they always you know play a leaked recording of a cabinet meeting. It's like who who would be that? You know, you, you you can carry anything into a room. You know, there's there are recorders that are the like a like you don't have to, remember Get Smart. <laughs> so you can record on a thumbnail, right? And and uh, people well, walk out. Everybody's so, got a phone. Everybody's, everybody's got, got a phone, phone. But say you know, I'm surprised in a cabinet meeting they don't say put your phones down. Turn everybody turn off your phone. Everyone has two. <laughs> The point is, somebody heard it. They were standing. The narrator heard it. Okay, but that's actually the the cinematography about this, which is which, like like you said, if you were telling, I don't know why this is the movie that came into my mind, but in Broadway, Danny Rose, Woody Allen, you know, confesses to Mia Farrow that he loves her all along. And we just see them talking, but we're watching from across the street. And the, you know that there's an intimate and loving conversation that goes on, that they get back together. But we don't hear it. Yeah. We just see that it took place. So all of Egypt, get, Joseph says, privacy, I need I need some time. Everybody get out. And then they hear wailing. Many years ago when I was uh, young, young, this was when I was in college, actually. You know, when I, um, you know, I was, I was before I went to rabbinical school, I wanted to be a newspaper writer. And in the summer of 1986, I was in Nashville, Tennessee. It was an internship, it was way cool. I got to do a lot of fun stuff. And one thing I always remember 
is there was a, a horrific death of a child and I was outside the room when the doctors told her family that the, that the mm-hmm. child died and the wailing was just, it's, I can still hear it, it's unforgettable. So it's interesting though that the wailing of course is a sound without words. Mm-hmm. And then after this wailing, Joseph says, I am your brother or I am Yosef, is my father still alive? And they don't answer him. So there's silence. They're too stunned. Well, actually, it says Nipalu. They're like visibly shaken, I think, is the way we're supposed to understand it. Not clear, again, whether it's positive or negative valence to this word Nipalu. Um, And then he goes on to talk some more. And so the two most dramatic parts of this scene are expressive without words. It's the wailing and then the unanswered question. Yes. The unanswered question, the silence. They're 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 silence. The brothers. Yeah. You know, you, you said before that um like we Shlomo Karbach turned into a song, Ora Vinuchai. Yes. You know you read and, the Bible pretty well. And and yet it's Unless it unless it comes later in the story as Odavinu Chai, but it says Haod Avichai is my father life, and the in the my versus our the first person, the singular first person versus the plural first person is pretty interesting. Well, isn't there? I mean, we're we're going to advance to next week's parsha where where Yaakov dies, but it doesn't say Vayama. It says it says Vayigva Vayos Vayasef Elamav. It it never uses the the verb. Uh, met with Yaakov and and Rashi comments there Yaakov lo met and I think that's yeah. where Karbach got Odavinu Chai but but even here it's Odavinu Chai you know it's it's a good it's a good uh, hook for that um, well let, let, let's then go to the next shocking moment in the story when when the brothers tell Jacob that that he's still alive and that's chapter forty five uh, verse uh, twenty six. Vayagidu lo lemor, they tell him, Od Yosef Chai, vichihu Moshel bechol Eretz Mitzrayim, and that he is the ruler over all of Egypt. Vayafu. I got two things to tell you. First of all, he's alive. Second of all, he's the king. Vayafog libo kilohemin lehem, and and so that word vayafog libo, it means his heart stopped, and and there is this phenomenon of of a kind of cardiac arrest when. When you are shocked, you know, and and I once asked a cardiologist this, you know, is that possible? And they said, yeah, it's possible. You can get shocking news and have a, a kind of there's a there's a cardiological term for this, not cardiac arrest, but it's a different kind of anyway. I think it's cardiac detention. It's not <laughs> administrative <laughs> detention without charge. Um, by the way, our listeners might be interested to know that when we talk about a ceasefire, it's hafsakat esh. When we talk about a pause, it's a hafuga. Fuga, right. Which is this word, which is so his his heart, like as you were saying, his heart just stopped. You it know, just just pause, right? Skip the beat. Right. Skip the beat. So and, what do you make of the next four words? Kilo mean lahem. Yeah, he didn't believe them. Well, is it he didn't believe them or he didn't trust it? So, you know, well, you couldn't love believe it. it. Maybe it's just maybe it's just you have this confusion often between belief and trust. And 
if we say he didn't believe them, then what does that mean? That he thought they were lying? Yeah. Or so, if he didn't trust them, is he wanted it to be true, but he couldn't process it. Well, why, why couldn't you just say, in a more colloquially co colloquial vein, he couldn't believe it? Like, I can't believe that. Because I think the reason and, why... And by the way, because... And I'm going to stick with that for a second by saying um, uh, the next sentence, and they tell him the whole story, and he sees all the wealth. Right. And his spirit came back his spirit comes back to life so it's so he's revived he's revived so so this, revived. this is a death experience he has he has a i guess a near death or a miniature death experience you know anyway not to quibble but the point i would make jeremy is that i think we often don't pay careful enough attention to what is said in dialogue or in speech and what is said in narration and the reason i think that we can't say I don't believe it is because it's a narration. It's not a. It's not a. Okay, okay. that's 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 fair. But um, I I think it, it could, I could turn it into a third person thing and say he just couldn't process this this totally uh, you know unprocessable information and and oh. he went into shock. I mean, I, just yesterday, by the way, I was at a shiva house for somebody who who um, who. Uh, Lost his mother. She was ninety-two. She was a uh, 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 Israeli from the old days. I've been in the United States a long time, but that woman, the ninety-two-year-old woman, had lost her son some years ago. Who was in his fifties at that time, and he, my my member, related that when he had to tell his mother that you know her her other son had died, she like freaked out and. And kind of flailed about, and then immediately passed out. And you can totally see how um, this is the experience. So many, so many, so many families are going through. Yeah. In Israel, you know, okay. they, they they say the 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 piece of news that is more bitter than all. And and you know, uh, 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 the 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 novelist um, uh, Grossman. Yeah, Grossman, Debbie Grossman, you know, uh, Isha, what is it, Rasami Psora, right, the name of his novel, it, um, this is, it's a novel based on, on the whole idea that she doesn't want to hear the news, the, the, the piece of information, the, the knock on the door. It's not that she doesn't want to hear the news, that if she doesn't hear the news, it can't be true. Uh-huh, okay, so okay. therefore... Again, what are we doing with information here? And 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 he he receives the information. That's it's 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 always very you know interesting to note that the brothers are not super sensitive. They don't say sit down. They don't say we have something to tell you. Although in the we in the in the in the play, it's father. We have something to tell you, but that's when he's dead, right? But um, here they're, they're they're he's saying to him he's alive. And they don't prepare him. And so and then the you know the continuation verse also is a little bit puzzling. It concludes um So I think I'll go down to Egypt and see him before I die. So 
Jacob is kind of obsessed with death. Yes. Can't quite get beyond it. And, um, you know, maybe that's what's going to give the punch to the later comment when he meets Pharaoh and says, I'm not going to live as long as my father or grandfather. All right. So we have a couple of minutes left. So let's do the next, the very next scene where, where God speaks to Jacob at night and says, Yaakov, Yaakov, is chapter 46, verse 2. And he says, Hineni, and uh, here I am. God says, I am the God of your father. Don't be afraid of going down to Egypt. I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt. I will go up with you. Yes. And Joseph will place his hands on your on your eyes, and we 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 are troubled by that phrase in some ways because it, it's it's kind of euphemistic, and I think most commentators do do say that this is a reference for his death, and it would follow what you're saying, Barry, which is that yeah, he, this is just a an affirmation of what Jacob has always been thinking. Like, don't worry, Jacob, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. You're going to die in Egypt, and that's that. Although, but although, I think yeah. this is why it's important that God identifies himself as the God of Isaac, because that God told Isaac, you can't leave the land. And now he's giving permission to Jacob to leave the land. Right. And the reason why it's important is because we might leave with the sense that there's a great deal of self-interest in what Jacob is doing. He's going to see his son, but in fact, it's part of the destiny of the people unfolding as well. Right. But it's still a question as to, when they're going to come up and how they're going to come up. And I will make you a great nation, but but it, it, he doesn't disclose to Jacob that your children, that great nation is going to be enslaved there. And well, that's, that's, this is, again, this like what I said about the typological read, reading of, of the Maaseh Avot Siman Lubanim, the typological reading that stories about the ancestors are to be read on multiple dimensions, including as as major symbolic statements about the descendants. And so the we know, because we've already, it's it's impossible that we, you know, and, and any Jew who's inherited the Torah already knows the Torah. So it's not the first time you ever read it. I mean, if you could ever, if you could ever be that person who discovers it for the first time, but it's not true for, for any of us, by the time we read it, we already know what's happening. And J Jacob and Joseph both are, symbolics you know the the symbolic import is we go into exile we come out stronger uh you know i will make you a great nation there we are going to hear the the arami oveda v passage from deuteronomy from that is used in the in the haggadah that we know that this journey is going to be extremely difficult it will be a it will include oppression it will include slavery and it will include redemption and so when god says that you know don't be, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. We'll put aside the fact that Isaac was a different case, but I think any Jew hears, or I think the Bible intends that any Jew will hear this and say, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. This is our fate, but we're coming back out. So there also seems to be a disconnect here that we might address for a moment, and that is Abraham has already been told that his descendants will be slaves for 400 years. Does he just keep that little tidbit to himself? Or does that become part of the family lore? 
and that he would pass, we would think he might pass on to Isaac and Jacob. Or, you know, do we really see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as three almost lonely individuals? Discreet, yes. I just want to leave with one thought, and that is one of the things that kind of puzzled me this week thinking about the Torah reading is when do we think a story like this actually became part of the national lore, right? I mean, we can understand that as this is unfolding, there's no one recording it. Um, My apologies to more traditional-minded people. Um, So when does a story like this actually become part of the national fabric of Jacob and Joseph? Why? And and so... Yeah, it's very curious. Our best guess is that it's during the monarchy, during the Davidic, you know, the and that they're they're accessing a mythic past here as they tell these stories. And these stories, you know, there, there is oral lore that's coming down and it's being written and being, you know, sculpted and, and perfected over over time and put together. Um and and the the story has to tell a has to relate to their own understanding of their family. I, I think, you know, as far as Breshid is concerned, and, and here this is probably the the point, which is the brothers, you know, we mentioned at the beginning, the brothers reconcile. Breshid is working that problem throughout, you know, from Cain and Hevel on. And finally, by the end of Breshid, we, we do get the sense that, you know, within a family, brothers, siblings can get along. And that's going to be crucial for the life of the people it's crucial for the life of our people today you know one of the things that we are we are living through is the the whole tension of achidut versus achdut you know the do we are we all our own little islands or can we be one nation so here we are you know in a in a in a moment of goral you know faithful moment of a people and we we are exhibiting demonstrating of course some you know, certainly quite a lot of achdut, but you know, if you just kind of closed your eyes and blinked back, you know, three months ago, we were very unachdut as a yeah, yeah, um, and and so you know, the the hope that Brishit gives us at the end is that these brothers come together, that it is playing, it is, it is portraying a family that, with all its fractiousness, can come together, and and that's. Quite hopeful, I think. That's, that's a good way to call it. That's it. Well, we 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 have other things. There are lots of other things in this amazing parsha, but we've we've come to the conclusion of our time together, um, and we're only going to be left with one more parsha uh, in Breshit. Always uh, difficult to to get to the end, but but sweet to know that we have people watching and listening, and we thank them. And we hope that this gives us uh, a lot to think about during these very challenging days for Am Yisrael. We pray for Am Yisrael. We pray for uh, the Chatufim, the Chatufot, and we pray for everyone that their strength to uh, endure uh, the, uh, difficult weeks that we've had and maybe, and of course, challenging weeks ahead. With that, we want to hope that Shabbat for everyone is a, a quiet Shabbat, a Shabbat of comfort, and a Shabbat of Shalom. So, Shabbat Shalom. See you next time on the next edition of Parshat.
לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מה אישים? קיץ באוויר. רדיו כל רמה 102.3 FM